Mark 12:28-34 One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, 
you're not far from the kingdom of God. Love unsurpassing, endless love, guiding, shining down from above, fervently trust in all that's true, love each other as Christ loveth you. Christians right now are asking ourselves, am I doing enough right now? Is there something else that I need to do? Or, you know, what would that look like? Well, I don't pretend like I'm going to be able to answer all of your questions that you might have in this just one video. But I do want us to look at some timeless truths from the scriptures and see something that we can be doing and that we should be doing no matter what the world around us might look like. These are things that we should always be doing. Let's take a look at a few stories from the scriptures, if you will. Let's start here in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, where we read this encounter with, uh, with Jesus and another individual. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So, some things that I want us to look at are what Jesus uh, talks about here with this man, and, and really what Jesus in other places has called the greatest commandment. Whenever he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He replied with two of them. And those are the same two that this man replied with. That we need to love God and then we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, what does that look like today? Well, what did it look like then? I think that's a very important question. Before we can start to answer really what loving God and loving our neighbor would look like today, we need to look at what did it look like then? 
because after all, that's whenever the Bible was written. And in fact, to get this answer of what it looks like to love God with all of your everything, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, in order to get a glimpse of what that looks like, what I want us to do is actually go back into the original times those passages were, were talked about. Because after all, you probably noticed that, that these are quotations from the Old Testament. So what did it look like then, you know, going all the way back into the Old Testament now, thousands of years in the history? What did it look like to love God and love your neighbor? Let's take a look at those passages. The first one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is a very well-known uh, statement that's made by, by Jewish people, uh, and it has been made by Jewish people for thousands of years. In fact, even today, uh, modern-day Hebrews, they, they do recite this. They know this. It's very important to them. It's called the Shema sometimes. Basically, you'll, you'll probably recognize it once uh, we start looking at it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. There we read, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And if you keep looking at this passage, you know, all of this passage is talking about how everything they needed to do needed to be centered around what God has done for them and the love that God has and the commands that God has given to the nation of Israel. Now, this was at an important time in this, this Deuteronomy. The entire book was written just before the Israelites are about to enter into the promised land and really obtain what they've been promised for, for hundreds of years by this point. And whenever they get into the promised land, this is kind of a reminder, don't forget that it's God who put us there. That, that's the, the motivational speech that Moses is called to give them before uh, they go in at that time. And here uh, in Deuteronomy, we see that once again, that uh, the person Joshua is picking up that same thing and that same call to follow God. This has been done for uh, for several generations, but it's also important for us today. And the, these same things do apply to us in different ways. And I want us to take a look at some of these things. Of course, we recognize that we need to love God with our whole being, like everything about us, our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, everything that we can possibly do. And, you know, sometimes people might kind of look at some of these things, well, I need to love God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind. And then they start looking at those maybe four descriptions. And the whole point is not to limit it to just four things. The whole point is to expand it into all of everything. These commandments are supposed to be on our hearts. They're supposed to change us and do uh, great things within us. Do we allow them to do that? Look at verse seven, though, because I think this is so important for us to remember during our time right now. They are called to impress these commandments, impress them on your children. What does that look like? Well, I hope that during this time of us not being uh, able to, to gather together as we once did and, you know, to have our, our Sunday school Bible classes with, with the children and all, I hope that you've taken this opportunity as you perhaps spending more time with your own family at this time. I hope you've taken this opportunity to have 
God being the center of what you do. And that you've been taking this opportunity to to really teach the next generation, to teach these children, because that's what this is is all about, is to impress these things upon your children. I mean, you look at verse 7 and you see that they're supposed to, to talk about these commandments whenever they sit at home. How much time do you spend sitting at home? It should be centered around what God has done and loving God. When you walk along the road, okay, so whenever you're traveling somewhere, when's the last time that you've made an effort to focus on God whenever you travel? When you lie down, if your family is like mine, you probably uh, read books or something like that with your family. I have particularly young kids, so maybe if your kids are a little bit older, you might not do that, but still find a way to connect with your kids whenever you lie down at night and you're about to go to sleep. But then look at this next thing, whenever you get up, how does your mornings look? You know, most of us, we've got somewhere where we need to be, you know, on our, on our typical days. So we just get up and we just go. You know, we maybe eat a little breakfast on the way or maybe just kind of grab whatever we can. How many of us sit down as a family and eat breakfast together? How many of us take this opportunity whenever we get up to focus on God and to instill within our children about God and the need to follow him and to love him? Now, I'm not saying that I do these things perfectly. Some days I do them better than others. I recognize that. But this is still the call of what we should be doing. That this is what it means to love God with everything, is to spend all of this time teaching this next generation. But you know, there's more. It's not just about the future generation. It's also about right here, right now, and you specifically. Verse 8, they're told to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I can't help but notice within this that it's kind of like everything that we do with our hands. I mean, how much do you do with your hands throughout the day? And how does that show the love of God? Bind them on your foreheads. This is where our mind is. What about all of your thoughts? Are your thoughts and your actions focused on loving God? Because that's the call. And we see in the next verse, and there's more things as well, but in this next verse, it talks about our houses. Are our houses places that we can tell that we love the Lord our God, the one and only God. Okay, so this is that first part of what Jesus and also that, that man was saying is to love God with your whole being. What about that second thing? Loving your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? Well, this has a little bit longer of an answer, I guess it might say, although uh, I guess they both could have a pretty long answer and, and can reveal themselves in many different ways. Let's take a look at this next passage though. The next passage, it actually comes from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Now it's verses nine through 18. That's what I've got here on the screen. And I'm gonna read all these things, but I want you to recognize that these statements are specifically made to Israel. And you might even find out that really some of these are only for a select group within Israel. It's not even for all of the Israelites. So the thing is not to, to look at this as a checklist and say, oh, well, I, I uh, the, for example, verse nine, it talks about harvesting land. Well, you might be thinking, well, I don't have a garden. I don't have any land to, that I'm, you know, need to harvest. So that one doesn't apply to me. Let's not look at this list like a checklist and, oh, well, I can't do that. So I don't need to worry about that one. No, find a way 
in which you can do the same type of thing in whatever your work is or you know whatever you just generally do find a way that these things can apply because i believe that most of these things carry over into the new testament and into our lives today but they might look slightly different than what they did then some of these are not going to look different at all let's take a look at them all together leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 through 18 when you reap the harvest of your land do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen leave them for the poor and the foreigner i am the lord your god do not steal do not lie do not deceive one another do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your god i am lord do not defraud or rob your neighbor do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind but fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's lives. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I guess you've probably kind of picked up on this, that even among these passages that are talking about how we should love our neighbor as yourself, there's these this repeated phrase about how I am the Lord. So I guess even that this command has to do with how we love God. We love God because he first loved us we love our neighbor because of that love of god and and being faithful to what god has asked us to do you probably noticed in this list some of these things apply to us exactly this first one in verses 9 and 10 uh, this has to do with the the nation of israel you know if you if you are a farmer today and if you leave the edges of your field not harvested guess what they're probably going to go to waste you know people poor people aren't going to be coming through your fields and picking those things up so how does that relate to us today? You know, part of their culture, yeah, they were able to go through and they were able to to uh, take care of the poor that way. But how can you take care of the poor? You know, what can you do to kind of provide a portion of that uh, going to the poor? Some of these other things like in verses uh, 11, uh, do not steal. Guess what? That's exactly the same today as what it was then. You know, do not lie, do not deceive one another. You know, there's several of these things that exactly relate to us just like then these other things we've got to see what type of thing is god wanting from us and then we need to do that type of thing today in our own culture find a way in which that works you know maybe sometimes it might take a little bit of extra effort like providing for the poor maybe it'll take a little bit of of an extra effort to do that and of course some of these things about verse 17 do not hate a fellow israelite in your heart okay we're, we're not israel we're not uh, among israelites all the time so we need to to relate this to what we encounter today. And uh, we see this, of course, that, that what that has to do with is we most certainly shouldn't love a fellow Christian within our hearts. But I believe we can also see that, that it goes beyond that too. It, it goes into our fellow man. And since we don't have these, these boundary limitations like what Israel had, uh, I guess in many ways, this kind of expands all of the different boundaries that we might have today. 
we start to see about like verse 15 do not pervert justice and we're called here something very important that we need to consider do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly you know have you ever noticed sometimes whenever we talk about treating people fairly you know we we oftentimes talk about how those who are poor or maybe less fortunate and who don't don't have as much about um how they need to be taken care of and they need a voice which they do however they don't need to get necessarily special partiality in that i mean that's what verse 15 talks about but then we also need to see this favoritism to the great we don't need to show favoritism to the great it's kind of easy to do that isn't it you know somebody who is maybe famous or maybe has a lot of money you know of course we kind of think that they they need this special favor whether whether we say that out loud or not it's how we act but yet what God is calling us to do is to not show favoritism to the great people, but also don't show partiality to the poor. Recognize that all of humanity that you will ever come in contact with was created in the image of God, just like you are. That should change the way that we treat one another. At least I believe that it should, and Jesus seemed to believe that as well. So these things right here, we can still love our neighbor as ourselves. It just might look slightly different now than what it has in times past, but it still needs to be present in our daily lives. Let's go back now to that original story that we started off with, because the rest of that story is probably even more familiar than, than where we started. If you remember it, it began with this question uh, by, uh, by someone to Jesus, and that question uh, was about, how do I inherit this eternal life? You know, what do I need to do? What's really important? And they came up with loving God and loving your neighbor as your as yourself. Let's go back to that passage, though, because there's more to that story. Jesus takes this as an opportunity to share a teaching because this man wants to ask a little bit more questions about that. In Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, we read this going going back to that original conversation. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's a familiar story. We call it the story of, you know, the parable of the good Samaritan is what we call it because the Samaritan was the one who was good in this story. He's the one who showed what it meant to be a neighbor. And I want you to recognize something about the man who fell into the hands of robbers. See, that man, he was stripped of all his identifying marks. His clothes were taken off. You know that, that a Jewish man during this time 
he would have been able to be identified just by looking at his clothes and seeing, you know, how he dressed and things like that. That was taken away from him. This man looked like any other man. There was no way to know whether he was uh, Jewish or if he was a Samaritan or, you know, what he might be. There wasn't any identifying marks on this man. So if you saw a man who was stripped of all their identifying marks and you didn't know perhaps what political party or religious party that person was a part of, would you help simply because they are human? Because like I said before, they were made in the image of God just like you are. In this story that Jesus tells, we find out that this, this person who would have been considered by many Jews to be like a half-holy type person, you know, a Samaritan, they, they kind of are similar to the Jewish people, but not really. They're outsiders, and there's this huge tension between them. They have a different way of worshiping. They have a different way of life. Just everything about them is different. But this half-holy Samaritan, so to speak, he steps up to the challenge, and he shows what it means to be a good neighbor. So I want to end with really how this passage ends right here. It's that question that Jesus asked. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Guess what? We're still called to go and do likewise. Oh